Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello, my name is Helen Freer. I'm an investment writer at Julius Baer in Zurich. And I'm delighted to be joined here today by my colleague Philip Leanhart, the head of equity research at Julius Baer. Hello, Philip, and thank you for joining me today. Hi, Helen. So in the next few minutes, we will talk about some of the challenges facing companies at the moment, and then about what it is that makes some companies particularly resilient to any challenging market developments. Now, we know that investing in equity should pay off in the long run, but we also know that equities can be very volatile over a shorter period of time. And we can't deny that investors in the stock markets this year have had a bit of a tough time. We were feeling, dare I say it, upbeat that after two years, the worst of the pandemic was behind us. But then inflation fears started to dominate the headlines. And now there's the devastating war in Ukraine, which is having huge economic consequences, as well as being a humanitarian disaster. Can I start, Philip, by just asking what your take is on the stock market in general at the moment? Yes, it is true that we were quite optimistic about the equity markets going into the new year. And overall, we remain constructive for equities as the best asset class to own despite the turbulence we have witnessed so far. The biggest surprise, besides the tragedy unfolding in Ukraine, has been the persistence in the inflation pressure from rising raw material and logistics costs. The likely response by the US Fed to hike rates faster and more rapidly reduce its balance sheet has also been a headwind. Overall, we expect global growth to slow down further, and we therefore have turned more defensive in our positioning, highlighting, for example, healthcare and Switzerland as attractive places to invest. So what would you say are the biggest challenges for companies right now? As mentioned before, rising raw material and logistics costs, a major cause of the current inflation surge, as well as generally fragile supply chains, pose the biggest challenges for companies right now. While we already saw this development last year and it was clearly on our radar screen, we have been surprised how persistent they have been so far this year. We are just in the middle of the earnings season and we expect many companies to become more cautious with regard to these challenges until well into the second half of the year. Looking on the bright side though, demand has held up reasonably well so far, so the top line or revenue growth does not seem to be an issue at the moment. So you've outlined the two major issues at the moment being supply chain disruptions and inflation, which is leading to higher raw material and logistics costs. I guess this means then that the companies that will be successful are those that either have supply chains that aren't disrupted and or they have high pricing power so they can pass the rising prices on to their customers. Let's look at these two points then. Firstly, on the topic of supply chain strategies, how can a company set up a solid supply chain? There are different ways a company can tackle this, but two points strike me as most relevant, reshoring and restocking. Let's start with reshoring. Over the past several decades, companies have increased the global network of their internal and external supply chains. To put it simply, the aim was to produce each part of a product at a location where the costs were lowest, including transportation costs to the final market or the next step in the global assembly line. 
Now companies have faced a lot of disruption that has called this approach into question. From the blockage of the Suez Canal to the more serious and long-lasting impacts from the various pandemic lockdowns around the world. There is also a geopolitical consideration to this, which is a whole topic on its own, so I won't go into the details here. But the trade war under Trump and the continued trade frictions between the US and China will also have a long-lasting effect on global supply chain decisions. And what about restocking? Restocking relates to the quantity of raw materials or components a company keeps in stock, and also the product inventory that a company keeps in case there is a temporary supply disruption. It is not surprising that the car industry has had some of the biggest supply chain challenges as they operated with the perfect so-called just-in-time manufacturing model. I think many companies, not just car companies, will rethink their strategy and keep a bigger buffer now to be ready for the next time we have a hiccup in major supply chains. And are there particular industries that are more affected than others by the recent supply chain problems? The industrial sector, and specifically the equipment and machinery segment, has been facing significant supply chain constraints and raw material, energy, labor and freight cost inflation. We believe these headwinds have worsened in the first quarter of this year. So we are quite cautious for the sector and recommend careful stock selection to pick those companies that can best navigate the current situation. But the most talked about industry has been the car manufacturers, who were badly hit by the shortage of semiconductors and more recently by the disruption in wire harness production in Ukraine. However, we need to add here that car companies currently enjoy unprecedented pricing power which has allowed them to more than offset higher costs and lower volumes. Nevertheless, the companies will not bank on this to remain and are still likely to reconsider their global setup. Okay, and what about other sectors then? Are there any that have been unaffected or at least less affected by the supply chain disruptions? Yes, well, firstly, let me point out we have had some winners as well, as one company's cost problem is another company's sales opportunity. Transportation companies have enjoyed record sea and air freight rates which compensated for any loss in volumes. But generally, it is simply companies not producing any real assets that have been the least affected, be they banks and insurance companies, IT software companies, or media and communication companies. But here we're talking about an absence of physical supply chains rather than any sort of resilience. Lastly, I should highlight healthcare companies providing essential products. They have avoided the disruptions in part because they have been excluded from restrictions or received preferential treatment. Now let's move on to inflation. You've talked about rising prices a bit already and we've certainly been hearing a lot about it this year with many countries reporting inflation figures that were last seen decades ago. But inflation isn't always a bad thing, is it? No, it's not. In an inflationary environment, many businesses are able to increase the prices of their products. Put simply, inflation means consumer prices are going up, so the top line or revenue side of companies should grow. The crucial question, however, is how well and how quickly they can increase prices to offset their own rising input costs. Okay, so for companies then, it comes down to their pricing power. So let's look at that now. You mentioned earlier that car makers have particularly strong pricing power at the moment. What kind of companies are able to pass on higher costs? Does this come down to an individual company and how they're set up? Or is it defined more at a sector level with some sectors having stronger pricing power? There are both sector-specific and company-specific factors at play when looking at pricing power. Certain sectors are inherently better at increasing prices than others. 
This can be driven by the competitive landscape, for example, whether there are few or many competitors, or the nature of demand. For example, utilities enjoy good pricing power as the market is quite consolidated, while the healthcare industry enjoys pricing power for innovative medicines because there are few or even no alternatives. The car industry is a special case at the moment, as supply shortages and the post-pandemic rebound in demand has led to very strong pricing. However, historically, the car industry has been very competitive with relatively low profit margins. From a company-specific perspective, it matters whether a product is clearly differentiated from the competition or adds significant value. We can also think of how important a component is for the final product, such as a critical software for the IT system of a company. And it also helps when the component is only a small part of the overall cost of the final product, because we would expect companies struggling with rising input costs to tackle the biggest cost components first. Let's talk about the technology sector a bit more, and specifically the pricing power of IT firms. Where do they stand in this respect? In general, there is strong pricing power in the IT sector, but only selectively, as there is always pressure from competitors. For everything related to hardware, there is no pricing power. But the software segment should be a resilient area going forward, particularly because of the cloud aspect. Only a small proportion of companies are currently using the cloud and cloud applications, and this should continue to grow, with more and more companies moving into the cloud, especially small and medium-sized companies. And what about healthcare? That's something that when we need it, we need it. So I would think that healthcare companies are able to pass on higher prices to customers. Is that right? Yes. Firstly, the healthcare industry generally and the pharma industry in particular continue to be relatively free from pressures of rising raw material costs. For pharma companies, gross margins have actually been stable above 70% for more than a decade now. And the majority of the costs being research and development and sales expenditures which are more sensitive to wage inflation, especially with higher skilled workers in R&D. Overall, we don't think the higher cost environment should be a significant headwind for large cap pharma companies. And a really important point is that, yes, the pricing power for innovative drugs is higher, which allows companies to offset cost increases. I understand that luxury goods is one of the areas where companies have no trouble at all passing on higher costs. So the price of a handbag with a luxury brand name on it, for example, can go up significantly in price and those who want to buy it will still buy it. So the luxury space is very well positioned to pass on any higher costs. Is that a fair statement? Yes, I'd say it is. So supply chain disruptions are making production more expensive and creating some delays. But the cost of goods sold, or COGS, make up just 25 to 30% of total revenues. So this really isn't an issue. And as you said, Helen, when it comes to luxury goods, increasing prices is quite easy. So far, increases of around 5 to 10% have been implemented for many products, and there has been no impact on the sales volumes for these goods at all. In fact, the scarcity factor in the case of delays could actually even be helpful for luxury brands and future pricing. Rising food costs is something we've been hearing quite a lot about as well. So does that mean food companies are okay because they're passing the higher costs on to us? The supply chain is tight in the food industry and prices are rising quickly. Some companies have COGS inflation in excess of 10%. This is a problem as cost of goods sold make up 40 to 60% of revenues and companies' own distribution, marketing and administration costs cannot be squeezed enough. Price increases have become the norm, and there are signs that for weaker brand names, 
this is starting to impact volumes because here customers will sometimes move to cheaper non-branded products. The companies that are best placed in this segment are probably the very large ones with great brands and niche players where customers will really stick with them even if the prices go up. We've talked a lot about companies' supply chains and pricing power. What would you say are some of the other success factors of companies who were able to adapt during the pandemic and also since then to the changing environment and everything that's going on? Well, I would uh, highlight three aspects. Uh, The first one is swift reaction to changes in client demand. We've seen this was very important during the pandemic. And the second one would be prioritization of new ideas and efficient decision making so companies can react more quickly. And lastly, and this is very important as well, a high IT standard across the company. I actually heard a story about a laundrette recently who started organizing concerts in the evenings and it really saved the business because their energy costs had gone up so much and they said that they just weren't able to pass these costs on to their customers. I thought that was a good example of a small company being quite innovative and thinking of new ways to increase revenues. Yes, that's an interesting example. Sometimes large corporations can learn from small companies with greater flexibility. Great. Thank you very much, Philip, for the interesting conversation. So I'll just quickly summarize then for our listeners. Rising raw material and logistics costs and fragile supply chains are the biggest challenges that companies are facing at the moment. Reshoring and restocking are the two key points when firms look at their strategies to deal with any future supply chain disruptions. And pricing power obviously enables companies to pass on higher costs to their customers, So those with strong pricing power are much better able to deal with the current high inflation. Anything to add from your side, Philip? No, I think that's a very good summary and there's been enough information to absorb already. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time today, Philip. And with that, we conclude this edition of the Beyond Markets podcast. Thanks again to Philip for joining me and thank you all for tuning in. We do hope that you enjoyed listening to this conversation and we hope that you'll join us again soon. Bye for now. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.